0: Uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles. I'll give you the scripture in a second. But while you're grabbing your Bibles, grab your imagination as well. I want you to think back to a time you're traveling with your family, uh, whether you, you were a kid or when your kids were little. And you're driving down there. You've been talking for not just weeks, but months, maybe a year about this vacation spot. And you're like, oh, we're finally on the road. We're finally going. You get in the car and you start going. And suddenly out of the backseat comes one of the kids like, are we there yet? And you're like, oh, no, honey, we're not there yet. It's all good, right? But as you drive, minutes later, here it comes again. Dad? It's like, oh, no, we forgot something. Somebody spilled something. Something's going on, right? Dad? Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. Smile sort of disappears from the parent, right? And then minutes later, yes, here it comes again from the third child or maybe the same child. Are we? No. They don't even get a chance to finish the sentence this time because you are already at that point, like, we're not there yet. And your spouse is sitting next to you sort of chuckling, like, and you're just waiting because you know. Your spouse is going to sit there and say, hey, are we there? And, you know, you're just waiting for them to say it too, right? And it gets a little annoying because what was supposed to be so fun and so joyful has now become a little bit annoying. Well, this uh, week, today, Genesis 11, we're going to read about an adventure of one of our Bible characters who um, had one of those moments. His story actually starts in Genesis 11. It's going to continue through Genesis 22 and a little beyond. But it's like, okay, is this going to unfold yet? Is this going to unfold yet? Is this going to happen yet? And we sort of see this going on. And the adventure of Abraham seems exhausting. But again, who's the main character in every story? It's God, right? Oh, we're going to learn about Abraham and see him, but we're going to learn about God and how he worked through Abraham. And so Genesis 11, as you're turning there, we're going to focus on Abraham and no, not Abraham Lincoln, just to make sure we're all on the same page. You've heard about this Lincoln, but some of you are like, Lincoln? No, Abraham Abraham, all through the Bible. Genesis, all the way into the New Testament. Let me throw some scriptures up for you on the screen. Exodus 2, 24. It begins with Moses as God sort of says, hey, I see the groaning, I hear it. I remember the covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exodus 3, 6. God said to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he's afraid to look at God. Fast forward. 1 Kings 18.36. At the usual time of offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed, O Lord, what? God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Again, as we move through the Old Testament, you'll see a little bit more of that. We get to the New Testament, the book of Matthew, the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham, the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Acts chapter 7, we have a story of Stephen. Stephen was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was the first one killed for being a Christian, a martyr, they call him. This was Stephen's reply right before he was killed. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor, Abraham. Yeah. Galatians 3, 6-7. The Apostle Paul said this. In the same way, Abraham believed God. God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. If you were to go back into the Old Testament and search through, you're going to see multiple times, you're going to see, and he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and Jacob. Oftentimes, you hear this. It's like this guy was super popular, right? He's famous, right? He's more than famous. He was the founder of the Jewish nation. He was a father to a nation. He is Father Abraham. You've all heard of Father Abraham. He had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. So let's just Praise the Lord, right arm, Father Abraham. I and mean, some of you are like, what is he doing? Now, for those of you that grew up in the church in Sunday school, you know what I'm talking about, the song Father Abraham. My question is, who came up with that song? Right? Let's see. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one. So are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Uh, right arm. Hey, all right. Where what's the right arm, left arm, left arm, left, arm, left leg, right leg? turn around, sit down. Does anybody know the history of that story? If you find it, feel free to send it my way. I just don't understand it, okay? It's not in the scripture anywhere. But we do know this. He is Father Abraham. He was worth singing about. They just couldn't figure out what to sing. And you're going to find out as we read, okay? Genesis chapter 11. We're going to start there. Verse 31. It starts off with actually, one day Terah took his son, Abram. Now, this is before Abraham's name is changed. He is Abram. He's with his dad, and he's with his wife Sarah. This is before her name changed as well. Her name changes from Ai to Ah. They were with their grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and he moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, and they stopped at Haran and settled there. Now, why start here? Because I want you to understand. We're not sure why, but Abram, when he was young with his dad and his wife and his nephew, they all took off. God said, go. We went, but we stopped partway. We didn't finish where we were going. We just stopped at Haran. Now, if you look at the map on the screen, you start on the right side of the screen, and you're going to see where they left Ur, and they headed north up to Haran, which is at the very top of the map. That's important here. We'll get to this in a second, okay? Years later, we read in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, And go to the land that I'm going to show you. So leave Haran. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make you famous. They'll sing songs about you. They'll use your left arm and their right arm. That's where it comes in. That's where they got it from, I think. And you'll be a blessing to others. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord instructed, and Lot went with them. Abram was 75 years old when he left haran now so you have on that map and uh, we will go back to that map and they went from Heron, and they headed south down towards egypt and when they went that direction there's going to be some issues but basically god uses if then command if you do these things then i will bless you if you obey me then this will happen we see this through scripture a lot. Then we go back on to verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I'll give this land to your descendants. I'm, I'm giving it to you. Another promise by God. We've read about how God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. He says, I'm giving this land to you. You just need to move and be obedient. What we're going to discover is that God fulfills Abram's purpose But he has to put Abram in position for his purpose to be fulfilled. Before I'm going to bless you, you need to be obedient to me. So I want to put you into a place when then you are ready, I will fulfill this purpose. So Abram had to leave what was familiar with him. Think about it. He had to leave his home, leave his dad, leave all family, leave belongings, and move south down into Egypt. But if famine strikes and they end up in Egypt... Chapter 13, fast forward to chapter 13. We're going to be fast forwarding through a lot. There's a lot of chapters. So you can go back and read more about these later. Chapter 13, verses 118, we see that Abram leaves Egypt, heads back north, and he goes from place to another place to another place. He's living the life of a nomadic. Basically, a nomad is a person who traveled from one place to another. He lived in a tent, pack up your tent, move, put your tent down. Pack up your tent, move, put it down. This is what we're going to see. Three different scriptures. Chapter 12, verse 9, 13, 3, 13, 18. All those three scriptures say Abram moved in stages. Got something going on here. Stop. A little bit more going on in life. Stop. A little bit more going on. We read in verse 11, they finally found a place to live. Abram looks at Lot and says, Lot, you choose first. That was very gracious of Abram because really the way it should work is this. Abram's older. He's the uncle. Lot's the nephew. Abram should say, because I'm older um, and more wiser and because, well, that's just the way it works in our culture, I choose first. But he looked at Abram, or he looked at Lot and said, Lot, you go ahead and choose. Lot looks around and goes, ooh, look over there. Green pastures, very pleasurable, very nice fertile land. Riches. This is going to be great. I'll choose that, Uncle Abe. Abraham's like, okay, are you sure? Yep, okay, that's yours. And I'll choose my plot over here. And Abraham chose Hebron. Now, Hebron, if you look on the map again, after they left Egypt, which is at your bottom left side is Egypt, all the way over there, swing that arrow back up to Hebron, and it is 25 miles, basically southwest of Jerusalem. Now, again, why show you this map and all this? Because when we read Scripture, these aren't just stories and adventures, and history, so these were actual locations. It's easy for us to go back and find and identify where they were at what time in other history as well. So we see where he is at right now. May not seem too significant, but what is significant is understand this. The place that Lot chose was not a good place. Oh yeah, it was a more lush, beautiful location, so forth and so on, but his eyes were like, ching seeing money, seeing pleasurable life, so he makes the choice. What he didn't really understand was this was not a good place to live. We read in chapter 13, verses 12 to 13, that Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom. You've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's going to get destroyed later. He settled among the cities on the plain, verse 13, but the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. This sort of reminds us that we need to be careful of the choices we make, church. There's a lot of times we look at something, ooh, that looks really good. But, the surrounding culture of that choice might be spiritually harmful to us. Oh yeah, this looks like it might benefit you and your job, it might benefit your family, but what is it going to do to you spiritually? Is it going to bring you down? Oh, I really want to be friends with this group of people over here. Okay, that's nice to have new friends, but are these friends going to build you up spiritually or tear you down spiritually? Will this job help you? It's what you're doing in your faith, or is it going to destroy your faith? Lot's like, I don't care what it does to me spiritually. I'm moving in. Cha-ching, right? Choice for a nice place ended up being a bad choice. In chapter 14, if you were to continue to read through that later today, chapter 14, you discover that Lot was captured by four kings who gathered their armies together, came into different Towns and cities and destroyed them and plundered them and took people by hostage and force. Well, they kidnapped Lot and took a lot of things. Well, Uncle Abram finds out. He says, I'm going to gather a small army and rescue Lot. And he does. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 15. We'll read together. Chapter 15, starting in verse 1, it says, sometime later, Meaning, uh, I'll say this right now, sometime later, meaning after Lot had been captured, his place destroyed, Uncle Abram surrend- uh, rescues him, brings him home. That's the sometime later. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings? I don't even have a son. Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, the servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. Verse 3. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky. Count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So in this Few verses here, we find a couple things. First, Abram lived a life that seemed to be unsettled. He's on the move, right? He's going from place to place, experiencing famines, experiencing leaving and departing people he loved, dealing with Egyptian kings that scared him, that he had to lie to. He had an evil band of kings come together, come in, kidnap his nephew, wreak havoc, he sends 318 of his trained men to go rescue him, brings him back, and then he starts thinking, I wonder what would happen if these kings come back. Do you really think these four kings are going to look at this farmer here who rescued his nephew? We're going to let him get away with coming and doing that? What if those kings come back? What if a famine comes back? What if we got to move again? What's going You know, there's all these what-ifs, right? Church, let me ask you something. When we start talking about what-ifs, what happens to your heart? Does so anybody heart sort of like starts beating a little bit heavier? Get a little anxious, like, well, what if, what if, what if? It's like, okay, this is why God pulled him aside and said this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Abram, I see what's going on. I'm the God who sees things. Okay. And I see what's going on. See, there's another version that says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your what? Shield. Your reward will be very great. Again, after these things. What things? After the rescue. After dealing with these kings, right? And again, do you really think those kings will let this slide? Probably not. They'll probably come back. Anxiety builds up, right? Right? They're probably going to come back and try to wipe out Abram. So he's probably a little scared. God says, hey, hey, whoa, whoa. Don't be afraid. If you're not, I'm your shield. I'm your shield. Church, we need to remember God is our shield. In what way? All of us in this room, we have opponents. People who maybe won't say it to your face, but probably don't like you. Fortunately, we live in the United States of America. We don't live in a third world country where there are churches today meeting In quiet, hidden places. Why? Because if they get caught, they could be put in prison. There are Christians today that will probably get martyred in another country because they're doing what we're doing. There are churches that have been burnt down in other countries. We have an incredible freedom. We want to hold on to that freedom, right? Some people don't have that. And so they fear, and God's like, I will be your shield God is also our shield against Satan. Satan is that that nasty lion that prowls around looking for somebody to devour. He wants to shoot those fiery darts at us and defeat us, right? And God says, I will be your shield against that as well. And God says, I will also be your shield against temptation. First Corinthians ten thirteen talks about how, yes, temptation comes to every man, every woman. But no temptation is beyond what God can do to stop. God can handle any temptation that comes our way, and he can help us endure those. He is our shield. God not only shields, he also rewards Abram. He's like, Abram, fear not. I'm your shield, but I'm also your reward. All right, so I'm not one of those pastors that get up here and preach the the get-rich gospel, okay? Believe in Jesus, and you'll be rich. Don't preach that, okay? But I will say this. If you believe, if you place your faith in God, You'll be rich in Christ. What do I mean by that? Romans eight seventeen says this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Church, listen, there's a difference between an heir and a co-heir. If you are a single heir to inherit something, what happens is that person passes away. You inherit those possessions. If you are one of four heirs, then you receive one-fourth of the inheritance. You following me so far? Now, if you are a co-heir, then whatever that inheritance is, you share it together. It's all of yours. We are co-heirs with Christ. As a Christian, whatever belongs to God belongs to Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. Therefore, if God is a God of wisdom, he shares wisdom with us. If God is a God of power, he shares power with us. If God is a God of love, he shares his love with us. If God is a God of holiness, he shares his holiness with us. We are co-heirs with Christ. God tells Abram, Abram, I'm going to reward you. I'm giving you some of me. That's an incredible reward. And Abram's like, he says this, he goes, Sovereign Lord. Now he's about ready to complain, but he does it in the most respectful way possible. He, instead of just saying Jehovah, he says Adonai Jehovah, sovereign Lord. Adonai is a name that you would use for God when you are in revere and, and awe and respect of God. It's like you come before him and say, I completely respect you, God. So he throws that name of God in front of Jehovah. And then he goes on to say, I know you said I was going to have all these descendants. Um, thank you. And I know you're going to bless me. Thank you. But I don't know if you've looked at my tent lately. I have no kids. God, are we there yet? You've promised me I've been on this journey. I've gone one place, the other place. You said if, if I obey you, there's blessings. And if I don't, there's curses. And I've been obeying. Are we there yet, God? Chapter 13, verse 15. We need to remember this. When God said, I'm giving all this land, as far as you can see, to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. I'll give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they can't be counted. Go, walk through the land every direction. I'm giving it to you. So God promises Abram, now this is before this whole moment right here, I'm giving you all this and descendants, you can't even count them. It's like dust at your feet. Try to count all those pieces of dust and dirt. Can't do it, can you? Then in 1514, the Lord took Abram outside and said, Hey, look up into the sky. Count the stars, what? If you can. And he includes then saying, This is how many descendants you're going to have. So God tells him twice now, right? Now let me ask you this. Should God ever have to repeat himself to us? No. No. I think if God were to tell us something face-to-face one time, that's good enough, right? A lot of us know, coaches, teachers, parents, anytime you give instruction to somebody, a child, an athlete, whoever it may be, a boss, to the employee, whoever it might be, you give instruction, like I told you once, it should be good, right? Well, if it comes from God, I think it only needs to be once. But God's like, let me repeat myself, Abram. In case you didn't hear me the first time. But he doesn't just repeat himself. He clarifies the promise. He says, these descendants are going to come from Sarah. Not from your servants. The heir, not from your servants. From Sarah. But then he doesn't just repeat and clarify. He expands the promise. He says, oh, the dust? Yes. Oh, and the stars. Try counting them both. If you can, your descendants, descendants will outnumber both. 17, verse 2, chapter 17, verse 2, God said this, I'll make a covenant with you, Abram, by which I will guarantee you, what? Countless descendants. Oh, and if three times is enough, let's go four. Twenty-two, seventeen. I will certainly bless you. I'll multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. I love how God said he started off with dust. Then he went to stars. Then he said countless. Then he said, okay, let's go with sand and stars. I'm going to put them all together in one verse because I'm trying to throw all this into your mind, Abram, and into your heart, Abram, that you're going to have kids. You're going to have descendants. And Abram's like, again, are we there yet? More to come, right? Now we come to a key verse, verse six. It says, and Abram believed the Lord and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Important verse. I'm not gonna spend much time here, even though this is probably one of the key verses out of Abram's life. Why is it? Because this is his testimony. This is the moment where he's like, I'm placing my complete faith in you God. Oh yeah, he's listening to God. But now it's like complete faith. All of you have testimonies of when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when you prayed that prayer, when you said, God, I am a sinner. You're holy. I'm a sinner. I'm so sorry for the sins that I've committed. I'm placing my faith in you. I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to rescue me. I trust you. I'm placing my faith in you, God. Remember you prayed a prayer or something like that prayer? This was Abram's testimony. Powerful verse. You take a couple sermons on this and break it down and jump into New Testament. Matter of fact, let me give you one verse from the New Testament. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Abram was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. This is Paul writing. He goes, what did he discover about being made right with God? How do we get right with God? How do I get into heaven? Verse 2. If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that's not God's way. Do you, you understand what's going on here? See, if I can say I did enough good things and God's like, oh, you did enough good things, you can come into heaven. Then I can boast. Guys, it's because of what I just did, I'm getting into heaven. doesn't work that way. Verse three says, for the scriptures tell us Abram believed God. God counted him as righteous because of his faith, not works. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they earned. But people aren't counted as righteous because of their not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. God forgives us because we have placed our faith in Him. We haven't earned it. We can't work for it. That's the way it's going to be. Good time for us to pause and say, where are we at with that? Are we to this point like Abram, who said, "I've placed my faith in God. I can't work for it. Can't earn it. I gotta believe it." Verse 7, the conversation continues with Abram, and it says, Then the Lord told Abram, he said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I actually possess it? Wait, time out. Didn't you just say you believe God? And now, like a verse later, he's like, hey, how can I believe this is going to happen? Didn't you just say you believe? Let me help you with this one, okay? Best I can. Let's say my car breaks down, okay? And, and I tried to fix it, okay? I researched, I looked on YouTube. This is how you're going to fix it. And it's like, and I still can't figure it out, right? And then you walk up to me and you tell me, hey, I can fix your car for you. And I'm like, okay, I believe you can fix it, but how are you going to fix it? I don't believe how, I don't know how. You follow me on this? See, I can't figure it out on my own, but I believe you can. I just don't know how you're going to do it. Abram's like, I believe in God. I'm just not sure how you're gonna do this descendant stuff and give me this land stuff. That's why I don't know how you're gonna do it. I'm on my journey, God. I'm just not, I'm not sure how you're gonna make it work. And when you read the rest of the chapter, we read that Abram makes a covenant with, a, with God, or I should say God makes a covenant with Abram. And makes promises of giving this land and is an incredible moment. Read the rest of that chapter. But then we get to chapter 16. Chapter 16, Abram's got this great relationship with God. Life's going well. In spite of no descendants yet, 10 years later, (laughs) no, that's a big fat, are we there yet? 10 years later, still no kids. Sarah's getting patient. She's like, I thought we were going to have kids by now, God. Are we there yet? Obviously not. Now, this is the part where I'd like to rewind in history and look at Abram's face when this one goes down. Because here's what happens. Sarah's like, we're not having kids. So I'm going to have to take this into my own measure and my own plan. Abram, I want you to go in with my maidservant into the tent and, you know, and um, get her pregnant so that we can have a child. I would have loved to have seen Abram's face. Because men... Let's face it, I don't care how godly you are, you are a man. And from the day that Adam and Eve were in the garden, God created Eve and God, and Adam was like, whoa. Um, and then, yes, this land populated, okay? Men are just men. That's the way we are, okay? We look at women, we're like, God created something beautiful, okay? So here's Abram standing next to his wife, and she brings along this servant, and he's, she's like, We're not having kids, so why don't you go in with her and start the process? And he's like, okay, the man side of me says, I'll do anything for you, honey. I've got this. I'll make the sacrifice for you, okay? And then there's the other side of him that's like, this is such a trick, right? This is a test, and I'm probably going to fail. Doesn't matter, right? He's He's in a situation that's pretty crazy, right? But did Abram forget 10 years earlier? Chapter 15, to help him out, if he had the Bible, he could have seen it, didn't have it yet, right? Where God and Abram are having this discussion, and Abram said, you've not given me any descendants of my own, so my servants will be my heir. Remember that verse, verse 3 and 4? The Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be there, for you'll have a son of your own, hashtag Sarah, okay? God told him that 10 years earlier, but he sort of forgot, right? Or maybe it's that, are we there yet? And I can't wait anymore. But don't we do the same thing? Before we pick on Abram, don't we do the same thing? God, you know, God doesn't want me to be poor, right? God wants me to be blessed. So I'm sure he won't mind if I take a little extra money over here or I steal some from there. Or, you know, nobody's going to miss that money it's missing, right? God doesn't want me to be poor. God doesn't want me to fail. So if I cheat on this test, I'm doing it for God's glory because he doesn't want me to be a failure. Right? Oh, wait, wait. God wanted me to be strong. So I better put this guy in his place because I'm no floor mat Christian. No way. I'm not going to walk over me. God wants me to be strong. So it's okay what I do, how I treat other people. Isn't it easy to justify all the things that we do because, hey, doesn't God want me to be this way? So, couldn't have. Abram said, "Well, God wants us to have descendants, so I'm sure this fine, you know, print doesn't matter, right? No matter what we do to justify our, our actions, if God gives us command, we have no excuses for doing it our way. Men, we know right from wrong, and every man in here should should have like, if you were in Abram's spot, every man in here should have like, Sarah, I, I know you want this this." Life, descendants ago, ain't happening. You are my one true love. Can't do this. Okay, that's what should have happened. Didn't happen though, did it? Well, we know this is gonna uh, backfire. And we learn later. We read next chapter as these are the words of Sarah after Hagar gets pregnant. She says, "This is all your fault. I put my servant in your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she's treating me with contempt." The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And I'm thinking, you're both wrong, okay? Right? Again, I'd like to see Abram's face for when that went all down. Oh, boy. Are you, are you seeing this adventure with Abram? Oh, we're not done yet. We've got more chapters, but I'm going to sum it up here. Chapter 17, starting in verse chapter 1, chapter 17. Abram is 99. Let me hear you say 99. Man, he's he's an older gentleman. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully. Here's the command Serve me faithfully. Live a blameless life. Verse 2. And I'll make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Which in the back of Abram's mind, he's probably thinking, I've heard that. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground, and he, God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. No longer Abram. Instead, you're going to be called Abraham. You're the father of many nations. I'll make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. Verse 7. I will confirm my covenant with you. And your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is an everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and be the God of your descendants after you. I'll give you the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It'll be their possession and I'll be their God. God introduced himself to Abraham in a new way, a new name. Here's a new name El Shaddai, which means God Almighty which means most powerful. God reminds Abram of the countless descendants that he's going to have. Why again? And Abram's like, yeah, why are you reminding me again? Are we there yet, God? Come on. Isn't it like us, though? I mean, I'm sure Noah was on the ark for a year. God, are we ever going to get off this boat? How many times have you sat there in your own personal life and said, God, when are we going to be done with this? Is 2020 ever going to get to an end? Can we, make, can we go two days for one? I mean, every day counts as two, and we'll get through this year and be done with it, right? When will the next mandate will be done? When will, the, when will my marriage get better? When will these kids, when will the job, when? Are we there yet, God? Can God instantly heal? yes. Can God instantly change things? Yes. So, why is he taking his time? Because it's his plan. His ways are different than our ways, his thoughts are different than our thoughts. I just know he made a covenant with Abram. He changed Abram to Abraham, Sarah with AI to Sarah with AH under the last name. He said, I'm going to bless you. He bowed down to the ground. Actually, verse 17. It says, Abram bowed down to the ground and he laughed to himself in disbelief. He's like, how could I be a father at the age of 100? And how can Sarah have a baby? She's, you know, 90 years old. And he laughed. And by the way, God said, name your son Isaac, which means he laughs. Ooh. Glad he didn't curse. He had a different name, right? Chapter 18, the part of, hottest part of the day. And I'm just going to um, ask the the... Worship team to start making their way up here. Hottest part of the day, he shows hospitality to these strangers. Three strangers come up. Now, a couple of them are angels of the Lord, but then one of them seems to be a theophany, which is God in the flesh, and we believe it could be Jesus Christ. And uh, they're having a conversation with Abram, Abraham. Actually, now Sarah's in making some food in the tent, and she's inside a the tent. They're out there and like, hey, where's Sarah, your wife? Which I'm wondering, how do they know? Well, she's in the tent. Oh, well, I'll, I'm going to return next year and your wife, Sarah, she's going to have a baby. Just want to tell you that. Sarah's inside the tent. She overhears what goes on and she actually chuckles at this. Why? Look what she wrote. You, you think the Bible, the Bible holds nothing back. Verse 11 says, Abram and Sarah were both very old at this time. Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Okay, sort of like translation. I'm whooped. I'm worn out. I'm an old woman. This baby-making process could be pleasurable, but he's old too, God. I mean, old, old, you know? Ancient old. Yep, it's in the Bible. Read it. And so she laughs. And then God comes and says, hey, you laughing at what I just said? Oh, I didn't laugh. I heard you laugh. You laughed. She gets called out, right? Because he's the God who sees all things. But God said, do I need to remind you of something, Sarah? I already told Abraham Abraham this. My name is El Shaddai. God Almighty. This is the same name that we are familiar with in the New Testament. See, remember that little teenage girl that was gonna have a baby? She has no husband, how's huh? she gonna have a baby? And remember her relative Elizabeth, who's very old, beyond having the age of kids? She got pregnant. And the two of them got together, and they're like, with God, nothing is impossible, was their testimony. You know, Abram had a lot of mistakes in his life. Sarah made some mistakes in her life. No doubt about it. They were on an adventure. But God promised them from the beginning, your descendants outnumber the stars, the grains of sand. I promise you that. Our problem is we're just impatient. Are we there yet, God? Come on, God. God's got to come into our life every now and then and remind us I am el should I. I am God Almighty. He gave a few other names. We learn that he is Elohim, supreme God. He is Meth, which is God of truth. He is a God of grace. And then we get into this story of Abraham, and Abraham gets about three different names for God. One is El Shaddai, God Almighty. The one is El Elyon, which is the possessor of heaven and earth, God Most High. It's another name for God. And he also introduces himself in chapter 16 as El Roy, which means God sees all. So basically, God says, I'm the God that sees everything that's going on here. I I see your pain, Abram. Sarah, I see your pain. And as a matter of fact, when you're in the tent and left, I saw that too. see it all. I know what's going on. Church, he sees your pain. We sang that song, one day we will see him face to face, right? In the meantime, anybody here fearful, anxious, depressed, angry, frustrated? God sees it. He is Jehovah El Roy. He sees all. He is El Elyon, the the possessor of heaven and earth, almighty God of heaven. El Shaddai, almighty, who can do anything. Nothing's impossible with God. So as you are sitting where you're at right now saying, am I there yet, God? God's like, not yet, but I'm the almighty God in your life. I'll help you through this. I see it all. Trust me. Be obedient. Keep walking. Keep journeying with me. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, you are a faithful God. You're a God that we can trust. You see it all. You see our pains. You see our joys, our celebrations. You see the things we get to rejoice in, the birthday parties, people falling in love, whatever it may be. There's some fun things out there, but then we also see the heartache too. We feel like nobody sees it, but you do. And we wonder, where does this fit in the plan? And God, I thought you were promising this. And God, you have promised us a lot. You didn't promise us a pain-free life, but you promised us you'd be there in the midst of it. We are co-heirs with Christ, so there are promises there. But in the midst of this journey, we ask you, God, to give us the strength to trust you, else should I? What an amazing God you are. God, I thank you that we can come and worship you today, that we can see you in a new picture through the life and journey of Abraham. God, there's so much going on right now. We're going to keep trusting you We're going to keep trusting you or else you In my name we pray. Amen.